Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 590 with a review of The Invisible Man. I'm Christopher Schnazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Um, this week, we're going to have a number of reviews for you. Um, last week, I had to do some traveling for work. Yeah. This week, Stephen's doing some traveling for work. Yeah, we, we have a good, like, like, two weeks ago, I was on the East Coast for work. Last week, you were sent to the East Coast for work. And then tomorrow, I'm sent to the East Coast for work yeah. again. So we're squeezing this in, like, right in between travel schedules. Yeah, so so we I think we've offhandedly mentioned this or directly mentioned it before, but Stephen and I work at the same company and for work have to do a lot of traveling from time to time. Um, it's probably going to travel more and more, well, maybe less and less. Yeah, we'll with, see. With the way things are going now um, in the world. But... We are the coronavirus. We should just come out and say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we have to do a lot of traveling. So some time from time to time, there are going to be some gaps in the availability of episodes. But like this week, we're going to try to do as much as we can to get everything that we have seen. Because even when we're traveling, we do try to see the films that have been coming out. Um, so this episode is for The Invisible Man. We're going to have a review of Onward. We're going to have a review of Emma. And we're going to have a review of The Way Back. And those will start coming out this week and lead into next week where we're going to go on and maybe do reviews of Bloodshot and First Cow. (laughs) Maybe First Cow. There was another one, too. Anyways, basically, we're going to try to do as many reviews as we can so that if there's a film you're interested in, you will be able to hear our opinions. Um, But for now, um, this film is a film that involves... uh, Somebody maybe potentially experiencing somebody invisible around them, potentially an invisible man. Um, but yeah, Stephen, this, so this question is not at all meant as an indictment of this film, just a thought experiment for our real world. Do you think – I guess I'll ask it two different ways. If you had the ability to turn invisible, do you think you could actually exist within a space – like, could you hang out in the office all day without people catching on? And also, if you were moving through a space, do you think somebody could exist in that space invisibly and not, like, have something happen to give away their mm. existence? To my first question, are my AirPods invisible also? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I didn't know could, what I'm going to do for that many you, hours. You couldn't listen to the AirPods because that noise cancellation will make it hard for you to avoid the people who are moving through a space. Mm, yeah, but I could, like, hug a wall real tight. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. <laughs> yeah, so I, I do think, and this film does beg it, too, it's just, I, I think it'd be quite easy in a space that is large to exist being invisible and not be detected by people yeah because i also think the the mind is going to invent so many reasons for the sound you heard or the weird thing you saw before it actually convinces itself that an invisible person is there yeah yeah. um so i think that would actually work for quite a while the question is more what do you spend your time doing if you're just creeping in a house for hours at a time you know that that becomes more difficult um and in, how do you pee if you're just trying to stand in the corner? Very good I mean, I question. guess you could just pee. But the question is... Is your pee invisible? Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> when, when the liquid exits your body... If your pee wasn't invisible, wouldn't they just see it floating like an intestine True, true. Glob oh, of maybe it's a thing where the ground starts to get wet... And then after it's been out of your body for a few seconds, it becomes visible, mm. right? Like it could be sort of a, a mixed visibility situation. So as parts of you shed those parts become visible because they're no if, if longer... If the invisible man cuts off his arm, does his arm stay invisible or does, like, a visible arm suddenly appear? Well, having seen the film, we know the answer to that question, but we'll talk about that later, maybe in spoilers, but... Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, okay, that, that's in, true. In, in this question that I am hypothesizing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're we're not assuming a... Uh, we're not assuming what the power is that makes you invisible. We're just assuming that you are invisible. So, yeah. That, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think it would be it would be easy to exist undetected. It would be hard to not get really bored after too long of having to do that. Yeah. Um, for the second question of detecting someone, I don't know. I mean, like, I've lived in enough, like, old apartment buildings throughout the years up here. I've heard plenty of weird creaks and sounds. I've had, like strange noises and things like that. And you kind of learn to just tune it out and tell yeah, yourself, yeah. look, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. So I, I like, I think my apartment has some kind of tight walkways that if a person was in that space, it would be hard to not bump into them. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think a, a clever person who is hiding could probably do a pretty yeah, good Yeah. Like job an invisible it. Spider-Man who can like 
web walk oh, yeah. ac- across the roof. Yeah, I could never defend yeah, Invisible Spider-Man. You're never going to find them, but yeah. but something existing in your space would be like difficult. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the same way. There there is um, so in my apartment, if I'm at home, like working on the computer or doing something, generally I will have headphones on, and there are many times when I will have uh, I will have my phone streaming podcasts to my computer. And then the sound of like a video game plus the podcast playing in my ears. And all the time I will hear sounds that sound like the latch on my front door. And I just like yank my headphones off for a second and just look across the apartment and mm. go like, not a thing. And then I put it back on. Right? I do actually hate being alone with noise canceling headphones. It makes me feel like I'm not alert enough of what is going on. Yeah, yeah. But the real answer, it sounds like, is we could have a visible man in the apartment and not know about it. <laughs> that is true. But yeah, I, I think that it would be very difficult to actually exist within a space without giving that away Mm -hmm. given the randomness of interactions like there are plenty of open spots in the office where you could stand undetected for a while but as soon as you have to dodge somebody who's moving i feel like there's not a good vector for you to move in to allow you to bypass some sort of interaction with a person plus i mean carpets leave footprints yeah I, i just think there's like a lot of situations in which you wouldn't be able to be undetected see i'm wood floor yeah you're wood floor too aren't you uh yeah okay you have to think yeah, about that I, for a little I, while well i'm looking at the carpets in the office so okay. <laughs> but these wouldn't really leave i don't know i don't know how much of an imprint these would leave while you're standing on them i mean you can see the imprint of one of the outlets that has been carpeted over in the corner so sure. i feel like you would see some sort of interaction yeah but anyways that's our thoughts on invisibility <laughs> <laughs> why don't we talk about our thoughts on the invisible man let's do it uh we are going to take a listen to the trailer for the invisible man and then we're going to come back and give you a review as the attorney representing adrian's trust i'm required to read a prepared statement cecilia although our relationship was far from perfect i thought that you would talk to me rather than run away are you okay what happened to him he cut his wrists per his final wishes you're getting five million dollars contingent of course on the fine print he can't be ruled to be mentally incompetent it just doesn't make any sense what adrian wouldn't kill himself listen you're getting your freedom back okay don't let him haunt you hello He was a sociopath, completely in control of everything. He said that wherever I went, he would find me, walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Are you okay? Someone sitting in that chair. I found something that can prove what I'm experiencing. You need help. Adrian is dead. I went to his house today. He's not dead. I have a pile of ashes in the box that would disagree with you. He has figured out a way to be invisible. Only thing more brilliant than inventing something that makes you invisible is coming up with the perfect way to torture you, even in death. Adrian's true genius was how he got in people's heads. Don't come any closer. I'm not crazy. Please listen to me. You're saying the person trying to kill you is in the room right now, but we can't see him? He's listening. Where are you? Where are you? Show yourself. Come on. Do it. There you are. So The Invisible Man is a story of a woman who is in an abusive relationship and decides that she wants to uh, leave her husband. And uh, in after she sort of escapes and tries to make her way away, um, she finds out that he has um, died, um, potentially taking his own life. And as she sort of deals with the fact that she's free from him, she starts to feel the presence of somebody who might be around. And she starts to fear that maybe he isn't actually dead and is, in fact, stalking her invisibly. And 
she has to deal with the fact that the people around her think that that is a crazy thought. Stephen Miller, what did you think of The Invisible Man? Uh, I thought this was really, really good. I, I was quite impressed by it. And so, for starters, I did not want to watch this movie because it is a horror movie. At least it was billed as a horror movie. And yeah. canonically, I am a wuss when it comes to horror movies. <laughs> I don't want to watch them. Don't want to be scared. The better a horror movie is at being horrifying, the less I will like it. So it just feels like an unfair thing to judge from the get-go. Yeah. Um, and I'm really glad I watched this because while this has a lot of thrills, you know, it, it is a scary concept. It is not a creepy movie. It is not the kind of movie that leaves, by, by nature of the uh, concept, it doesn't leave images in your brain that will disturb you, right? It, it so, doesn't leave spooky paranormal right. things, but it, it is a dread-inducing it is, film. It is yeah, a yeah. very anxious movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, Uncut Gems was in my top ten last year. Like, sure. I, can, I can live with anxiety. Because it has a... I think it is not too spoilery to say that this movie goes the natural route. I feel like the trailer tells you that, though maybe... So, the, okay, so one thing I will say is we will play the original theatrical trailer. Mm. Um, that has already played, so this point is moot. But the regular theatrical trailer gives things away if you're used to seeing films and you can piece together what reverse shots might be happening opposed yeah. to the things you're seeing in the trailer. There is another trailer which you can find if you just Googled this trailer, which literally has every jump scare in it. Huh. And it blew my mind when I found this on YouTube after having seen the film that that some people are going to search for this trailer and watch this. Mm -hmm. um, like, because the main theatrical trailer does kind of take you through the general arc of the film and lets you make a bunch of assumptions on where the film's going to go. But there is a trailer out there that specifically spoils the shit out of this film. And I would uh, recommend... Not going to YouTube, but going to, like, Apple's trailer page and watching the official original theatrical cut trailer. Um, or maybe no trailer at all. We'll get right. to that later. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, all, all that to say, this movie did not terrify me in an unpleasant way. I, I thought I got to enjoy the thrills of the movie without having the nightmares later that I kind of tend to run <laughs> away from it. I, I think the, the concept, I, I think it fits with... Films like Get Out and Hereditary and Midsummer, where there are horror movies that are about a real concept that has nothing to do with horror, right? Like that they are clearly a horrifying idea as an analogy for some real world trauma or some like kind of relational issue that can happen. And here the film is very clearly about an abusive relationship and about gaslighting. And I think what what is kind of brilliant about the way this movie is constructed, it is it's a metaphor for an abusive relationship, and it is also literally just the story of an abusive relationship. It manages to – it ties those both together. And I think it it tells you so much without giving you too much exposition. Like the opening of this movie, I think, does a brilliant job very quickly of establishing these are the main characters. This is the relationship they are in. This is the dynamic. This is why Elizabeth Moss ought to be afraid of him. Without ever having an interaction where someone really speaks for an extended period of time, without yeah. showing violence, without doing the... People have compared this to It Chapter 2, and I think that's a good comparison, where It Chapter 2 opens with a direct look at, here is abuse, let me make you look at it. Yeah. And I think this movie is so much more effective in the way it decides to show you what abuse does to Elizabeth Moss character, Cecilia. And like, I think it's much more horrifying by virtue of not showing you directly what it is that she's afraid of. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as the film goes on, I think the, the ramp up of things that are unexplainable, things that seem out of the ordinary, slowly growing and growing is really, really well done. I think it has the perfect amount of time with which you are just questioning everything and things are a little bit off. It has more time where you know, oh, this is the monster. This is the terrifying thing. Let's reckon with it. And then it has enough time to be kind of the hell yeah at the end of the overcoming it. So I think it's just really well done. It, um, Elizabeth Moss, as always, does amazing as the person who seems to be losing her grip on reality. <laughs> I feel like here they're really inverting it, though, because they... I don't know what is spoilery or what isn't spoilery, but at least th there is an open question throughout much of this movie as to what is the reality of the situation versus her reaction to it. Yeah. And in most movies we watch where she plays this kind of character, 
there is no question. Like, we just know this is a person who is slowly going insane. And it's interesting using that and then, like, flipping it where we are meant to identify with her and root for her. I think that was a really interesting use of a character. Yeah. And, yeah, overall, I, I liked it. I just thought it was it, it was very dread-inducing, but it was thrilling it kept upping the stakes at pretty much the exact right moment I wanted would have wanted the stakes to be upped, and it didn't outstay its welcome. So I thought it was a, a great analogy and a good movie that managed to be scary and thrilling and plausible in its own kind of Blumhouse way, yeah. you know, like in, not, in the context not, of a world in which this could take place, yeah, it's extremely plausible. Exactly, yeah. like like I think it plays out correctly, and it does make you reckon with how would how would you have behaved in that situation if you were a person she came to for support? And yeah. I think it, yeah, I, I just thought this was a good movie. I was really impressed with it. Yeah, I, I thought this film was fantastic. I mean, I the first time I saw the trailer. I think because it was sort of one of those, like, a lot of this film is in the trailer, and I think I know where it's going, um, I kind of half wrote it off, right? I was I was curious about seeing it. I was like, yeah, I'll watch that. But I wasn't um, really looking forward to it that much. But I think it really, like, from the start, it blew me away. Um, I mean, I echo everything that you've said. To try to touch on some other points, like, I don't talk a lot about sound design in films, but I thought the sound design in this was fucking amazing. And crucial like, for the movie. Yeah, yeah. Work. Like, the... So we are watching... We... we this film is told through Elizabeth Moss's eyes and we're supposed to feel what she feels and the sound design plays like in in uh, 127 hours there's that scene where he's cutting the tendon in his arm and right. you hit the like electric guitar sort of like, like that makes you feel that pain right the sound design in this film makes you feel the dread of every single moment and even things that aren't that strange or weird that she's experiencing you understand like a situation where you know, a guy interviewing her makes a sleazy comment, right? But like when that music kicks in, kicks in, you feel her being triggered by it, and it mm-hmm. and it heightens it instead of just being like a this like poorly written stupid asshole man over here. And then it's like, oh no, now I feel it because yeah. the sound is kicking in. It's it it really it's over the top, but in the best sort of way, and it really makes you feel what she's going through in every single moment. And just the little moments of her feeling the presence of somebody else there or not there you you don't know all the time like we believe that there is someone actually there because we're watching a film that would present a universe with that but whether or not somebody is there you feel that existential dread inside of her because of the way the music is that heavy and that's obviously she's also working overtime for her performance too so that makes it um very interesting um one of the things i i I kind of didn't like in the trailer was this discussion of, um, hey, you have an inheritance of $5 million. Yeah, and it makes as... it sound like a haunted house movie, right? Where it's like, if you can survive for this long without well, being it, seen as crazy. Yeah, then yeah. You, but you that, that premise of you get this money as long as somebody doesn't call you crazy. That felt very cheap. And the mm-hmm. reality of the way that plays out in this film is fucking brilliant. Like, yeah. I thought it was really, really good. Because there's whole scenes that we're not seeing that put a... like. I don't even know if the line is ever said directly like that in the I don't trailer. Think it is. I feel like it's cut around to make it seem like the film is going to be one thing, and then yeah. it, it goes in sort of a different direction, and a direction that gobsmacked most of the people in the audience right. <laughs> that that, uh, um, that 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 I was sitting with. And I think that this film really, it really just it. This is a a suspense thriller that's sort of sci-fi. But it always feels so truthful and grounded in this relationship. I mean, that that opening scene that you mentioned is so amazing. Like, it is a prolonged scene of a woman just trying to get out of bed and leave the house. And as you said, this scene lasts for what feels like 10 minutes. And you know nothing about the relationship other than the fear she feels just tiptoeing through the house. And it, it, it works so well. And you have that... That sort of it, – it's a horror trope of like if the camera pans one way, you know if it pans back, there's going to be somebody there. And it just keeps that tension going yep. and going. It doesn't It doesn't yeah. release it. It just keeps pushing it. And, and you, it establishes so much with the camera too. Like there are shots of her from far away yeah. that make it seem like these are the the eyes of the person watching her. Yeah, yeah. But then they – they aren't, but it builds the dread because it communicates how she feels like she's under surveillance all the time. Like, yeah, it, it does so much with what is really just a wordless 10 minutes. Going yeah, by. yeah. And I, I, I do, 
I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it in spoiler section um, at the end. The the idea of how invisibility is achieved is maybe a thing we can talk about later. Mm-hmm. But I do like that they at least gave a little bit. Like they they tried to ground it in yep. something. Whether or not that works in in actual uh, optics, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that's another thing we'll talk about. But I think it was interesting how they they didn't. There's no big exposition dump. There is just a visual discovery. It's the definition of show, don't tell, yeah. right? And then we're just like, cool, I'm on board. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will say this, too. This is a Blumhouse film. Um, generally, Blumhouse films have, like, a cap at, like, $7 million or something like that. This film is fucking looks great. Yeah. I think that, that the, uh, the effects used in this film feel like they had to have gone over budget. Usually you can't. And if you do, you have to bring that money in yourself, traditionally, with Blumhouse films. Um, but... I, I applaud the shit of this film because it, yeah. it looks great. And some of the um, some of the uh, intense scenes that happen later in the film where people are interacting with potentially something that they can't see, I thought were <laughs> executed amazingly yeah. and really just sold this experience. Yeah, it did not feel low budget at all, which was surprising because the, this is not a movie that... I, I understand by nature of the Invisible Man, it gets to shy away from the monster a little bit, but it shows you a lot of like yeah, looking yeah. straight on where this person. I still don't know how they filmed some of it because it it does seem like there is a sense in which a person is there, like they had to have done both and kind of merged yeah, the yeah. take somehow. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it looks right at the action. It dares you to stare at the monster and see a flaw in it like it, it it does it in a very confident way that is not the normal shortcut that a low budget film would take yeah, so yeah. It, it's pretty impressive yeah agreed yeah i want to say more but i kind of feel like spoilers would be easier because i don't know what i should or shouldn't reveal about where yeah, this yeah. movie goes i think i think it's safe to say that we can have a much longer conversation in a spoiler segment So for now, we are going to go ahead and just get to our official verdicts for the non-spoiler people. Um, So Stephen Miller, if you were going to say must-see, record of the caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? I'm giving it a must-see. I Again, I thought this was a very good movie. I wasn't completely in love with it, actually, but I was really impressed with it. Like To me, this is easily a film that is worth going and checking out in theaters. Yeah, it's a must-see for me as well. I thought this was a pretty brilliant film. Um, There is some muddiness Mm -hmm. that the film allows for at the end of the film which i thought was a strange thing to do when you're telling this specific story um but we'll talk about that more in just a minute that's a little teaser for you yep (laughs) um but yeah i I thought this was great and i think that uh if you see this it'll definitely put you through a little emotional ringer and you should enjoy uh your time watching it in that feeling of being creeped out sort of way yeah Cool. Uh, well, if you don't want spoilers, we're going to say goodbye to you for now. Everyone else, you can stay tuned. And uh, after the music fades out and comes back, or fades up and then goes away, uh, we will be back to talk spoilers with you. But for everyone else, um, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? People can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. Um, if you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to um, The Invisible Man. <laughs> so hopefully you I still enjoying. want Invisible by Clay Aiken. I yeah. feel like that would be a good one. That that might also be playing. Um, it's, it's a toss-up which one is going to get us taking off youtube faster (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so that is the non-spoiler part of our review right now music is going to fade up and when it comes back we are going to be in full-blown spoilers so if you don't want to be spoiled go watch the movie come back and listen to the next section Alright, so we are back. This is Spoiler Territory. It's the after part of a review of The Invisible Man. We are going to be talking full-blown spoilers, so get ready for that. Coming now, this is your last warning. Invisible Man gonna get you. 
Yep. So this is before I go into too many details. I want to say I kind of had to wait till spoilers to properly praise Elizabeth Moss for what she does in this movie because th- this is a movie that if you follow the journey of Cecilia, you know she has escaped an abusive relationship. It begins by showing her kind of tepidly trying to come out of her shell, trying to recover from the post-traumatic stress of of that relationship. She does an amazing job there. And then as things start to get weirder and weirder, we see her grapple with it at first and try to maintain equilibrium, right? Try to convince herself that everything is normal and this is just a part of her brain kind of reacting to the prior trauma that she had escaped from. And I think the way she handles when those stakes get elevated, like a few in particular, there's the moment when her sister gets an email that wasn't from her and the kind of panic she has, the way she manages to both convey, I am a real person who really feels this, but then say it in a way that other people would not unreasonably hear. This is a person who is in a kind of manic state right now who doesn't know what is going on. She she manages to play both so well, where she is 100% convincing in what she does yeah. and 100% believable that regular people will ignore what she's saying or dismiss her. Yeah. Um, and because I think she, that... she's put into situations that are obviously unexplainable yep. in any context. Yeah. Um, we'll get into those in a little bit most, most likely. But I mean, yeah, it's definitely she – we are on her side – because we're watching a film that exactly. is framed from her side of things. But in a world where we were watching this film with no context for the film we were trying to watch, we would have no reason to believe her. Yeah, And I, I think she does so well there, too, because she is not the the helpless victim, but she isn't the triumphant, confident hero either. She's the person who is always scared. Like, I think the the biggest holy shit moment in this movie comes when adrian murders her sister right when she is about to tell her about the suit yeah yeah. and the just the look on her face and the way she deals with that and the way that she is right about everything but she is almost having a mental breakdown from that too and the, the combination of both i think that it threads the needle in such an interesting way and it really makes the whole movie be you sympathize with her and you are terrified for her and you're terrified for the for her living in a real world where you know no one else is going to believe what yeah. she's saying. I, I just think it is so masterfully done. It's a really clever screenplay, and she really, really, really pulls it off. Too. Yeah, that, that scene, too, in particular is so brilliant yeah. because she picks a wildly popular restaurant with the knowledge that nothing can happen there because it's a crowded restaurant where everybody is there and paying attention. But the fact that, like, he... He just, like, a knife is hovering there. And she sees it, too. It's not a suddenly she's dead and Elizabeth Moth knows, but nobody else sees what happens. The sister, before dying, sees the knife floating there, is like, what the fuck, gets slashed. And then he just slaps the knife into her hand. And that, you seeing her realizing, not just, oh, my God, I just saw my sister dead. People are going to think it's me. But that realization that people are now looking and she's just holding a knife. Yep. And there is no way she can say that knife was hovering in yeah. space, sliced the sister's hand, and then landed in her hand. Yeah. And there's nothing she can do about it. Like, oh, it yeah. was so, so amazing. Good. So amazing. That, it is such a good moment of escalation in a film, too, that could have stayed in just the psychological horror mode, right? It could have been, I'm being haunted by this person, weird things keep happening, my life spirals. But instead, it just it decides to ramp up right there and yeah. and say, we are going to now be in full-blown terrifying thriller mode instead and i i I loved that moment in the movie i thought that was just like a brilliant brilliant i i don't even know like just amping up of the stakes of the movie at the exact time that they needed to be raised yeah so once again not an indictment of the film in any way whatsoever but going back to my question at the beginning of the film do you think adrian could walk through that tiny restaurant into the kitchen grab that knife and come back without bumping into anybody (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I believe I buy it. I buy it. I mean, even if you bumped into someone, what what's going to happen? They're going to be like, "Oh, there's an invisible man there." No, they're definitely going to be like very extremely confused. But also, if you bumped it, into anyone that wasn't facing you, they wouldn't be right. They would think somebody else, some asshole, bumped into them and walked away. Yeah, right. But imagine he's facing the sister, getting ready to slash her throat, and then somebody's walking to the bathroom and bumps into him from behind. 
Like you're definitely mm-hmm. gonna fall over if just so that part, the confidence with which he does it, yeah, like, yeah. and it's kind of slow relishing in it isn't like just a quick thing. Yeah, yeah, that is harder to believe. I don't remember if the knife came from elsewhere, or if that was a steak knife that was at the table. That already. was way too big to be. It, it was like a twelve inch blade. That's okay. definitely a kitchen knife. There's no way that any steakhouse has that on the table. Yeah, I was wondering, is that knife from? The house? The house, yeah, because there's kind of Chekhov's knife, right? Where yeah, early, yeah. the first time we literally see an invisible man doing anything, it is turning on the stove and grabbing a knife yeah, off yeah. the counter or grabbing a knife off the floor. And he definitely, right? the, the, the knife is then placed in a bag, bag which can't be an evidence bag. We'll just call it a Ziploc freezer bag, one gallon, and, <laughs> and it is placed in the rafter. So, yeah, it could, it could be the very same knife. Right. Yeah, um, I, I was wondering that. So th- this is where, before we keep more praise on the film, I have to give my one nitpick, the part of my brain that it does well with later. Like, it kind of answers it. There's a moment when Elizabeth Moss, in the attic, discovers a cell phone with photos on it, yeah. proving that there is a person that was watching both her and Sydney, the little girl, while... Yeah, yeah. While, not little girl, about to go to college, uh, while they slept. If she had taken the phone in that moment and been like, look, I have proof this is Adrian's phone. Look at this photograph that I could not have taken. A lot of things would have been solved. I I understand why she didn't. She's terrified in the moment he's going to come back. And afterwards, she tries to tell people what happened. And then it is clear why she can't because he is around all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I I understand it. But there, there was about 10 minutes of this movie where I was like, pick up the fucking phone. Just take the phone. Yeah, yeah. My my nitpick, uh, while while we're on the subject of nitpicks, is um, so okay. What we haven't started talking about yet is it, it. This is not a magic power. This is not a thing that changes his anatomy. This is a suit that uses a thousand cameras sprawled on every inch of the body to somehow project what should be behind the thing mm-hmm. going forward. So my two nitpicks. <laughs> yep. Nitpick one is that uh I don't think his breath goes through the suit. Uh <laughs> It's such a cool scene though. I don't care. It's a nice scene, but there are a few things there are a few things that uh that are there which don't make sense once you realize that his entire head is covered in a suit, right? Mm. So that, that's that's like a thing where it's like, it kind of bothered me a little bit, but I was like, it's fine. I'll it's, allow it. It if, could be porous and I, the cameras are I, so... I, I 100% allow it too. The second thing that kind of bothers me is I love that they came up with a technological I- I- explanation that's not just, oh, gamma rays make me invisible. Yeah. It was like, no, he's an expert in the field of optics, whatever, and he uses cameras. They don't explain the projection, but that's fine. You don't need yeah. to know it. You just know that it's a million cameras. And the effect of all of the cameras, like, focusing and changing, yep. oh, I love it. It it's looks great. so cool. The suit looks amazing. Yeah, just... it, it fits with Jake Gyllenhaal in the last Spider-Man movie to just be, like, yeah. a cool a cool way to try to explain an unexplainable phenomenon that I yeah, think yeah. works really well. Yeah, so I, I love that. The thing that I that I love less is something that other films have done better, which is Mission Impossible, two Mission Impossibles ago, I think. There is a scene where they are trying to break into this lab, and they basically fill an entire hallway with a screen, and they have a camera that watches the back of the hallway mm. And then projects onto the screen what the hallway would look like if nobody was there. But the thing is, it tracks eye movement and refocuses the screen. Not refocuses, but but changes the perspective based on where the eyeballs of the single guard that's supposed to be in the room is. Yep. So that's a brilliant way. That's a brilliant idea for sneaking into a spot because you put the screen in front of a door you want to go into, go into the door and come out. But where it falls apart for them is once there are two guards... The, you know, machine is looking at both eyes and it keeps changing the perspective for each of the guards that are in the hallway and that gives away the illusion. There are many scenes in this film where there are a shit ton of people <laughs> experiencing this person and it doesn't refocus. It, like, it, it can't, the you illusion know, doesn't it, break down. I, I think it could still work from multiple angles. It, it could, it. Like, think about, like, holographic things. Yeah. Things that look different depending on the angle you do it. The way those work is they're polarized for that one angle. So you could imagine a world where the yeah, projectors human are polarized. eyes are not polarized, right? What, what, like, maybe, how do you project the two different... Yeah, I, um, 
It's it's a, it's a problem the film does not address. <laughs> I think you could have a thing where there are multiple cameras pointing in different directions and multiple projectors pointing in different directions. And depending yeah. on the angle of approach, you are seeing a different projection so the, pointed the, at you. The real problem is we don't know what the projection technology is. Yeah. We just know if, what the imaging... If you imagine imaging... the projection is 360, yeah. unique for all 360, then the problem is solved. It will just project back to exactly where you are looking. Right. But there would still be moments of phasing between those projecting, like vectors right I, I guess so but you vectors can imagine enough cameras that the phasing doesn't really I'm yeah. not, I, I'll allow that yeah, one yeah. That, I, that one didn't bother me it's fine it didn't didn't bother me bother me but I was like this is cool and yeah. I was like wait the, a second the, the how Mission does it Impossible work one is more clear because it's so obviously just one projector yeah, you yeah. know so it it amplifies the problem much more yeah yeah but they they wrote in that problem yeah um in this film, their version of working with the problem is once the suit is damaged, there is this phasing that happens, yeah. which, I, oh, my God, I loved so much. The the phasing of the suit being this damaged suit that is partially working and partially not, it, it's so much more frightening than just an invisible person. Like, yep. this sometimes visible, sometimes not. Uh, and then the shots where, like, one person doesn't see it, but she sees it, and she's, uh so good. Yeah. So much, th- like, okay, let, let's talk about some of the scenes of invisibility. Um the there's a scene where just Elizabeth Moss is thrown around and just has the crap knocked out of her in in a kitchen, um, and it it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. This has to be the most expensive shot in this film. Yeah. Like there there is a lot of stuff happening, and I'm sure it's all you know half the shit's 3D. But I mean, she's like breaking dishes over mm-hmm. the head of the person. I, I there there's it's really convincing. Yeah, it, it it looks amazing, and her performance is great in that. And, uh, I mean, maybe they got the team that did the bear effects for The Revenant yep. <laughs> to, like, drag her around the kitchen and do whatever was going on. I don't know what happened, but it looked great. Um, yeah. No, they actually got the clear gummy bear to, <laughs> to attack her. Yeah, but I, I, think, I think that a lot of these scenes are particularly really fun, if you can call, call it that. I mean, obviously, they're, they're harrowing moments of time, but I thought it was just... It was done in a brilliant way that really just made me like if I wasn't already drawn in by the story and what was going on and how it portrayed Elizabeth Moss's experience with her situation, it was still just it, it was it was kind of like watching 1917. We we're like, man, they really nailed yeah. <laughs> this conceit of what they're going for. Yeah, they, they pull it off so well. And as you say, when they start to reveal more of the suit, when it starts to malfunction yeah. again, it is just perfectly done like it. I, I really, I don't know how on this budget, how much they spent on effects and how they got away with what they did on that low end amount. Yeah. It, it's pretty impressive. But there are other scenes too where there didn't have to be any effect and they still worked incredibly well on me. Like the, there's a moment when Sydney, the girl who's going off to college, is trying to comfort Elizabeth Moss because she is kind of falling apart. You know, she's very upset yeah she feels like things are happening that she doesn't understand and it was about to turn positive and then adrian hits her yeah like someone who is not elizabeth moss hits her and the camera just kind of like looks down and looks back up so we know what happened but we don't even really have to see it yeah well there's the, there's the sound effect yeah. also once again exactly. the sound the design sound, in this film the sound does yeah. so much of the work and the the way that scene plays out too is just so devastating to me like it, it was done so well where yeah. Elizabeth Moss wants to be like, no, I, I, I didn't. I wouldn't. Why would you? But Yeah, and that, that's where that chain reaction starts to build of, at first, it was just Adrian trying to torment her, mm-hmm. being in her space and letting her know, giving her signs that he is still around that, that are the whole fear. But then once he moves beyond that to being actually, like, if, if I was, like, it, we're hitting here. If I turned around to plug in my microphone to start recording, and then I got punched by somebody, it might happen. I, <laughs> I would have no. There is zero. Like, there is no amount of it wasn't me. I'd be like, "Fuck you, Stephen." Yeah, yeah. I saw Invisible Man too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it, it wouldn't. Like, there is no reasonable explanation for that impact other than the only other person around me hit me. Right. Um, likewise with the knife thing. It's like, I'm almost glad the sister saw the knife yeah. because if the sister died thinking her sister did it, uh, that would, that's like an extra level of tragedy on top of just having the death. I, I think that that's part of what I like too. And this is going to seem weird because almost every witness dies in this movie, but there, there is a sense in which for the first half of the film, 
no one but Elizabeth Moss knows what is going on. Yeah. And then starting with the sister, there begins to be a little bit of vindication where at least like people are in the same world as her. They are also yeah. seeing this odd thing happen and they don't understand it. And th- it does kind of help tip it toward not just the gaslighting effect of I am shouting into the void and nobody is hearing me into a we are all seeing this together battling a thing. And yeah. I think it it gives it a good kind of triumphant boost as, as the movie goes along and more and more people start to recognize what she recognizes. Yeah, which is there, there's a line of dialogue. I believe it's in the trailer that may have played earlier. Um but if it's not, you're in the spoiler section, so you've seen the movie, so whatever. Um, but uh, it's the, it's that line where when she's first starting to think that he's back and she's talking to somebody and she says, the first time I tried to leave or something, he said to me – or no, I was thinking about leaving and he was watching me. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, he just said to me, if I ever tried to leave, he would find me and he would walk right up to me and tell me he was there – and, or no, he'd walk right up to my face and I wouldn't even know he was there. Uh-huh. And like within the context of the film we're watching, oh, it's yeah. so devastating. Like that line seems like just a trivial line in the trailer and just seems like a little thing. But within the context of what we're watching, you're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. This is like this grand master plan that this guy has had forever. And he is just an evil piece of shit. Yeah. And like it's it it really has this heft and this chilling sort of like blood-curdling feel to it that's just like oh my god this is so horrible yeah i also think the the brother character is an interesting twist in this movie yeah because the, the movie does this thing where at first you are supposed to kind of only hate him he is a mouthpiece of his older brother yeah or younger brother i don't even know i i think it's older. i'm gonna assume older brother. I, i'm assuming older yeah, yeah. right and then there's a moment in the middle of the movie where he kind of opens up to having also been, if not abused, at least like manipulated, yeah. manipulated by his brother. And he basically says, nobody, like, I hate him too. Yeah, I yeah. hate what he does to people. He's doing the same thing to you. Don't do it. And you're supposed to sympathize with him. And then, of course, it's revealed in the end that he basically was just doing his brother's bidding. And yeah. I think there's an interesting metaphor there for the people who are not abusers but who recognize what they're doing and don't do anything to stop it and it kind of is an interesting indictment of like that person is almost just as bad maybe even worse because they they could have done otherwise but they choose to keep on doing this thing anyway while feigning sympathy for you and i i just thought that was an interesting he was a good kind of like slimy character that you can never quite get get a grasp on so so here's here's a question for you because this is this is the point in the film where i still enjoy it but things start to get a little muddy. So the brother, it is revealed, is participating in this torture experiment, right? Mm-hmm. He has all the knowledge of what was going on. He knows there's a baby, um, which we haven't even talked about yet, um, which was another just ugh, yeah. awful. I, I, so I'm, I'm really, really glad that that scene exists uh, where he talks about, of course, he knew there was a baby. He knew you were trying to take... Uh, Birth control. Birth control. <laughs> I don't know why that word escaped me for a second. Um, but I, I'm, I'm so glad that they put that scene there because just having her suddenly realize she's pregnant sets off a whole bunch of red flags that are like, oh, dear God, like, yeah. why does this also have to come in this? But having that scene let, lets you know that, like, no, they were, quote unquote, trying um, beforehand and he just switched the birth control with yeah. like fertility pills or something. I also, it was another interesting thing where there is a universe where this movie does not ever show Adrian actually being alive, where it is all a metaphor for trauma and you know, the, the trauma of abuse and yeah. what it leaves in its wake, even after you escape. And in that universe, her being pregnant and that idea of this person is still following you. They're still around you. You can't escape them. Because, like, I thought there was something really powerful there, and I don't know if it was just me or if it yeah. was actually intended by the screenplay, but the the like second trauma of just like having knowing that you're carrying the child of this monstrous person. I, yeah, I yeah. just thought that was a really interesting twist on the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, going going back to what I was saying about about the the brother character is so we, we start to learn that they're together, but as things unravel he seems to be trying to get her to sign over the five million dollars to him, hmm. which, because because that was the thing is he's like he's like hey look, the money was only for you. 
if you weren't basically found to be a criminal, which is the thing we couldn't talk about before, is it wasn't just like, oh, if you're insane, you can't have money. It was like, as long as you are not found criminally liable in anything, and at this point in the film, she's like basically being Murder. held in insanity because she theoretically murdered her sister according to the, right. the police allegedly um so so like that was a bit, a bit complicated but he basically says like look you're gonna lose all that money unless you want to just sign it over to me and then we don't have to lose that money i'll put it into this other thing like it, it feels almost like he is now doing his own manipulation because at this mm. point in time we don't realize that he's in on it with the brother we it it it, it it puts into light that potentially he is now trying to scam her out of the $5 million. So now he has motive and he has all this stuff. So when it's later revealed to be him, he had his own motive to participate in all this stuff on his own. So in a world where the husband was just a shitty dude, but had actually been tied up by his brother in the basement and the whole time it was just his brother, he'd theoretically be innocent of all this shenanigans, right? So it's like, why does the film build in this motive that would allow plausible deniability for the actual husband? Because obviously we want Elizabeth Moss to get her revenge and to kill him in the end, especially using his own suit technology. But why have a muddiness where she is potentially actually doing something which legally would be a crazy act, right? Like, if she murders him in cold blood and he wasn't participating, then she is not in the right. <laughs> but as film watchers, we are supposed to be on her side. Well, I, yeah, so I don't think the movie intends for you to believe for one second that it was the brother all along. I, I honestly didn't even key into the brother's possible ulterior motive of why he would do it other yeah. than just executing on the will of his brother. Um but even if I bought that, I think the the use of the word surprise is supposed to be the big clue, right? That That is the thing that she hears him say. Yeah. That is so, exactly like she heard him say before. But here's the thing is that I've had this, I've had this discussion uh, with my girlfriend. Um, that scene, it is later revealed to be the brother in that moment, right? So he's the one that is in the house. And the la- very last time, he's the one that says surprise. So either he's convincing them all to say surprise together, and I and I don't. Wait, think... I, I thought the word surprise was before she's locked up. Even so, so the te- the first surprise is the text message, and the second surprise is when he's in the house, like after he's chasing them down. Mm-hmm. So once he's once they've left the hospital and they run back to the house, I believe he says surprise there. Mm-hmm. But either way, to me, surprise, like here's Johnny is not the same as you shouldn't be surprised. So even though as an audience watcher, I'm supposed to believe that that is some sort of reveal, but in that moment, he's trying to convince her that he didn't participate in it. So why would he tip his hand? There's no benefit to him tipping his hand. Mm. So I, I, to me, I think that is a mistake to write that as a reveal, quote unquote, because A, I think they're two different lines and B, I, I, I just think that he wouldn't want to tip his hat, right? Because the whole point is he's trying to convince her that he could have never participated in it. Yeah, see, I feel like he doesn't want to say it, say it, but he wants to give her enough to potentially let her know that he's being, quote, honest. That, that's how I read that scene, at least in the end, is that in his twisted way, he he believes her desire for him to tell the truth. Yeah. And he doesn't want to say it because he doesn't want it to be on the record. Like, he's probably smart enough to know she might be taping this. But that's the thing is, do you think, if he really believes that she is so battered by him that he can manipulate her and control her, he wouldn't have the, like, if he really had the foggiest idea she could be recording him, she would, he wouldn't just let her walk off into the other room, Mm -hmm. like, because she cried a little bit, right? Like, I I feel Mm -hmm. that, I feel that this film wants to set this moment of her actualization over the uh logical uh crossing of those two things like it, Maybe, it, feel, it feels yeah. convenient to me I, I think he is just delusional <laughs> but he he's both evil and delusional yeah, yeah and i think we are supposed to mostly leave it up there i do agree though it is a little bit to me it's the fact that everyone else is so credulous to the story that he was just tied up this whole time and yeah, his yeah. brother did all of it 
that seems odd to me. And of course, he has a lot of money, so you can yeah, hand wave it away that way. Where, well, he had he's extremely powerful and has really good lawyers, and it was easy to make a case that could convince everyone. Um, yeah, yeah. But that that is true. That confused it a little. But I love just the the metaphorically, he almost gets away with it still. Like that is just how yeah how quick people are to believe him and how quick they are to dismiss whatever she says. So, for me, even in a world. And that this is going to be me being edgy or whatever. <laughs> Even in a world where it was his brother the whole time, I think she gets to slit his throat. That's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. He, he was clearly an abusive monster who tormented her. I am totally fine cheering for that at the end, even if he literally wasn't doing anything with the suit that he invented to be invisible. Yeah, that yeah. she discovered later when Invisible Man was chasing her. Like, yeah, yeah. But of course, in the movie, it is him, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, his suit. Yeah. It's clearly of, him. Of doing course, it. in scare quotes. <laughs> like, I, I, I am like once again, I'm totally on board. Yep. I'm not trying to take apart this film too much. I'm just saying that, like, in a film that's telling this story, it is unfortunately convenient that there is plausible deniability. Yeah. Right. So we know because of the type of story that's being told that we're totally on board with her, and she got her. Uh, she enacted her her revenge that was totally justified. Right. But in the course of the film, what we actually see is her, him run and punch a window and him die. Yep. <laughs> right? And I agree he's evil. He is the worst piece of shit on the planet. But it's strange that the film would leave any gray area to the truth of the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, the the look on the other... the. Is that his sister's partner that she's staying with? I don't. I never understood the relationship of I don't the man think, whose house she's staying. I don't staying think it's in. her partner. No, I think it's just her friend. Okay. Yeah. Um, but but the look he has when he looks at her and she's just like he he, he slid it like it, she's still sort of doing the crazy acting right. She's right. like she's like there's surveillance footage. He totally slid his throat and then he looks down and sees the suit and then he's like, yeah, he slid his throat and he's like. He's like, fuck. Yeah. Do I just let this go? Like, what do I do? Like, it, it just feels like there is a more convenient clean. Like, it feels like they didn't want you to just have satisfaction. Like, they wanted something in the back of your head right. they wanted, to wonder. They wanted the gray area. And I, I think that ambiguity is interesting because it's yeah. trying to, like, implicate you a little bit. It's trying to be like, are you okay with this? Yeah. How do you feel? To what degree are you willing to trust her now that she was right about so much else yeah, versus yeah. still be skeptical because of what the movie's showing yeah. you? He also got the shit beat out of him by an invisible man. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's definitely willing to let her be on certain situations. Yeah. Also, once again, oh, it is so amazing that when, like the acting, the physical acting of having the shit beat out of him yeah. when it's just him on the ground, like. I mean, it's so bravo. Well I mean, just the, the ab workout alone to hold mm-hmm. yourself up like that. Is... It's impressive. <laughs> it's probably magnets. <laughs> All right. So any last thoughts about this film, Stephen? No. No, I think I'm good. Cool. All right. Well, we are going to take off then, and we're going to go onward into a review of Pixar's Onward. Whoa. My body's gone. I know what that is. That's an invisibility cloak. I'm invisible. 